Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter and the issues that matter. And how many of you are probably in a warm space right now? You're probably in a place where everything is warm and you're seeing sunshine and you look outside and there is no snow. Well... What can I say? More power to you. Because currently, here in the metro Detroit area, all we know is snow, and all we have known is snow for several hours now. And it is going to continue until tomorrow. It's probably wrap up by about 5 a.m., which means by 3 a.m. it starts winding down. So it's Veterans Day, so some schools are closed. Some schools are closed. I suppose that uh, government offices and some private businesses may be closed, and some people probably just took a sick day. (laughs) That's what I would have done, right? But I work for myself. I work for Harriet Kamek, so I go where she goes. She says, work, we all head there, right? So today I want to talk about the greening of Detroit, and it's an interesting uh, perspective because it's something that... I think uh, all of us, you know, should pay some attention to no matter what city you live in. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to everyone who continues to support our show and our broadcast. Thank you so much. I know today a lot of people are probably watching other stuff because you're off and you get a chance on a Monday to be off. So I want you to head over to probably are watching me from your cell phone. But I'd like you to head over to the Apple Podcast icon. If you have an iPhone or if you have a Google phone, then look for the Google Podcast. It's in your Google Play Store. And download Down to Earth. Subscribe to our channel so that we can know what you're liking and what you don't like. We want to know how. And the best way to do that is to see what you're listening to. So I want to say thank you so much to everybody. We continue to talk about the issues that matter, how to motivate you, inspire you, and push you into arriving where you're supposed to be and how to just live daily. What should we be paying attention to? One thing you're going to learn and discern is that as long as you continue to listen to me, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to think about stuff that you probably have not thought about. And I'm so very grateful that you take time out to continue to be a part of our broadcast. Thank you so much, everybody. I really appreciate it. So today I want to talk about the greening of Detroit. And uh, it's interesting to me, I think I just uh, might have just heard something here, but uh, we'll, we'll deal with that afterwards. <laughs> I want to talk about the greening of Detroit. How many of you know what is environmental justice? Like most of us, we've been hearing about the environment and knowing that we should do something about the environment, da 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 da. But we've never talked. We've never talked about environmental justice, or certainly we've never really 
thought about environmental justice. Well, what is environmental justice? And what is the greening, what does the greening of Detroit have to do with that? Hey, somebody yesterday told me that I look like a snack and I look like I came out of a vending machine and I'm like, mwah. And I'm like, thank you. That was a serious compliment there. Thank you. <laughs> right? But what is environmental justice? I don't want to say, I just want to add a disclaimer here. As we talk about this, you're going to find that this is perhaps something that is not just unique to Detroit. It probably is true in a lot of American urban spaces right now. And we, this is why sometimes you can't run away from your history. Because our history sometimes dictates our present action. And let me put it into context for you. So environmental justice, I'm going to read their definition, is the distribution of power among communities that have historically been subject and experienced pain from existing power structures. I think I just described racism in context. Yeah? Sounds like it, doesn't it? That's environmental justice. So what does the greening of Detroit have to do with environmental justice? I'm glad you asked. So there's an organization called the Greening of Detroit, I found out, who in 2014 decided that they were going to undertake, they actually started in 1989, so they decided that they were going to undertake a project to plant trees in Detroit, in neighborhoods and so on. And they decided to do that because, you know, the whole world was going into the Greenpeace thing and, you know, planting more trees because trees have benefits, right? Living under trees or living next to trees and having trees around your house and in our neighborhoods, is, it promotes healthy outcomes, right, for our lives, right? It absorbs air pollution. That's the first thing I can think of. It absorbs air pollution and it absorbs from traffic. Uh, you're still saying that I'm your wife. Okay. Okay. We can talk about that later. <laughs> right? But for right now, I want to focus on the greening of Detroit. Well, thank you. Right? But do you see? So uh, planting trees does give healthy outcomes. Right? And it continues to do so over time. Well, this organization in, 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 in 2014 decided to go on a citywide thing to plant trees. And so they got 50,000 volunteers to come into the city of Detroit to plant trees. You know what was their one problem? Their one problem was they did not engage with the residents. They did not go to the residents of the city to say why you should plant trees. They just assumed that because they thought that planting trees is a good thing, then the residents would just see it and, and would just get it. They forgot the historical narratives. You know what the historical narratives are and they, what they refer to as heritage narratives? The historical narrative was that the people who lived in these neighborhoods, those folks still had negative experiences associated with the race riots of 1967. In the 1967 race riots in Detroit, the government, the federal, state, and city government undertook an, an effort to eliminate trees out of neighborhoods because they wanted to surveil people. They wanted to see what people were doing from 
the air, and they couldn't do that because the trees formed a canopy. So what the government did was they started cutting down trees, and when that didn't work, they started spraying DDT onto the trees to kill it in a cover-up to say that it was the, you know, Dutch elm trees all over the country who had this disease. That naturally created what? Distrust between the power structure and the residents. That distrust did not end when the race riots ended. That distrust continued to this day. So when this organization decided to plant trees, they forgot about that historical narrative. And they forgot about that heritage narrative that existed, that people with lived experiences who are still here remember that. And so what they did was they just decided if we send out circulars and just put up a note, door hangers on the door, then people will say, oh, well, uh, this is a good thing. I just simply participate. No, they forgot that you have to engage with the residents of the community. Caused quite a bit of trouble because the residents were distrustful. First of all, you have a whole group of white people marching into your neighborhood. And people have this historical narrative when the last time a whole group of white people marched into their neighborhood, lots of people ended up going to jail. So they were very distrustful. And it was something the organization could not understand why the residents were not engaging with them. So this attracted a sociologist from another university who decided to take a look at it. So she came and spoke to the residents. So it makes you wonder, why then was the existing white power structure in the organization who wanted to plant trees, why didn't they think of it? It's the presumption that they know what is best for you. In a lot of ways, I see this embodied in the narratives today, especially in the Democratic Party. I kid you not, I see it in white liberalism, people who say, that they're liberals because they embrace people of color or they understand or they will help people of color. But to me, they always operate from a presumption that they know what is best for you, so shut up. Don't say anything. I know what is best for you, so you do as I say. You're just as racist as the person who thinks that a black person or a brown person is no good and is immediately a criminal. Yesterday, I was reading something on Mayor Bloomberg, uh, the former mayor of New York, who wants to run for New York City mayor, right? And I read somewhere how under his three-term administration, mass incarcerations became a thing in New York State, where he actually tripled the number of people who were pulled over in one neighborhood for nothing. And people were just locked up under suspicion for nothing and created records for people under for nothing. And this guy says he's a Democrat and that people of color should vote for him. Again, the presumption that because I'm white, I know what is best for you and you do as I say. That's all that happened in this story with the greening of Detroit. And they claim that they're well-intentioned, but your well-intentioned does not jive with the historical or heritage narratives that exist in these communities. And we have to be careful with that because you may have good intentions, and I've experienced that. I have good intentions to walk into a group of human trafficking survivors to help them, 
But if I don't engage with them and listen to what they need, then my presumption that I know what is best because I'm looking at them from the outside and those people just really need help. And then I walk in with my attitude that I know what is best. It's not going to help them. It's going to prove destructive. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that organizations should not seek to help, but you've got to have community stakeholders involved and community partners. And by that, I mean you actually engage and listen to what people have to say. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. Anybody remember that? Sometimes I think in our execution of our democracy, we forget that one thing. Government of the people, by the people. So you have an organization that wants to help people, then by all means, listen to the people. One thing you can't say about this guy who is the president now, Donald Trump, he listens. Oh, he listens. He gets it. He will listen. He will listen, and he will act on it. He listens. We may not always like it. I don't always support everything he does. I don't always say everything he does, but he listens. Sometimes with the Democratic Party, what they do is they do not engage community partners. They're not listening. They have this presumption that they know what is right. It's how most white liberals operate. I know what is best for you. Follow me. Do as I say. You're still rendering a group of people inoperable. You're still saying you're insignificant because what you think does not count or matter. And this explains why there's so much apathy towards the Democratic Party. And frankly, the Democratic Party, blacks only started voting for the Democratic Party after 1964 with Lyndon Johnson because he was going to pass the Civil Rights Act. Prior to that, they voted for the party of Lincoln. People seem to forget that, right? But at the same time, what we have now evolved into, and we saw that in the Clinton era, especially when Hillary Clinton was running, they didn't ask anybody if anybody liked Hillary. The presumption that they know what is right, you didn't engage with anybody. So the Democratic Party is paying the price, and they should. And that is a lesson for every organization. For any grassroots group of people who feel that you have an answer to what is needed in any setting, go engage with the people on the ground. You've got to talk to the people. What do you want? Don't assume. Talk. If you're going to plant yourself right smack in the midst of them, ask them, what do you need? What would you like to see come out of this? So this organization was running around Detroit putting up stuff, a group of white people running around putting up stuff, probably looking at people skeptically. Meanwhile, the residents are like, well, who are these folks? I don't trust them because the last time a group of white people moved in, people just left en masse. Does Detroit need trees? You bet we do. Of course. Trees are always good in any neighborhood. I, t- I kid you not, as I drive around some of these subdivisions, around Metro Detroit. I'm aghast that there are not enough trees being planted. I'm like, when you were developing the land and plant and, and, and building houses, did you just pull up all the trees? You should have left some trees in because trees are good. Now, over time, the roots do go down into your, <laughs> into your septic system and so on, but you need trees because trees green the area. 
remember I talked about that fold of synthesis that takes place and, and so on, but the metamorphosis that takes place, but trees absorb air pollution. So it helps you to breathe better. And especially in urban settings where people have marked increases in, 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 in health complaints and in lung issues and issues with breathing apparatuses and so on, you do need trees. But how are trees going to come in and an independent organization is going to do it if people say, wait, just a minute, the last time they did this, they cut down all the trees. And this is what, if you watched 60 Minutes last night, did anybody watch 60 Minutes last night? No, you probably all were watching the game or something. But if you watch 60 Minutes last night, you will see where the mayor of Detroit, he's white, right, and has been the mayor since 2014. The mayor of Detroit said something that caught us when Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes asked him, what is the issue in Detroit? And he said, since the 1930s, the federal government created itself, gave itself a problem by creating marginalization in the city, by not supporting black neighborhoods, by not putting infrastructure and giving loans and giving incentives for people in black neighborhoods to own buildings. That was a federal policy from the 1930s, a hundred years, it's almost a hundred years later, and the policy is still there. It's still being carried out. Do you see what I mean? And that is what has created the disenfranchisement that you see in communities of color. So you have a group of white people over here who never experienced disenfranchisement simply because of their color. You never knew what it was like to be judged that a whole communities and whole communities are left without infrastructure and investment because they're black or they're brown. So you sit over there and you say, it's because they don't know better. I can go over there and show them because they just, I just know better and just know what they need. You might have good intentions, but your execution needs some ramping up because you don't know what the historical narratives are in that community. I read this article. It's, it's the Greening of Detroit. It's published on a website. You can just Google it. And I was fascinated as I read it because I wanted to know too. Because I am curious about why when I hug a tree or hug you, Raven Bishop, good morning, man, <laughs> hug a tree, right? And I wanted to know why in certain parts of the city of Detroit there were not trees. I'm like, how are you going to live without trees? There won't be any rain. Uh, what's going to absorb the pollution? You need trees. You significantly need trees. And that is what this is all about. You need trees, but how do, and this is sort of like, you know, Mike, this is probably sort of like, how do you, how do you approach communities of color? You have the idea. You think you know what they want, but how do you approach them and get them to see what you want? Unless you act on the presumption that you already know what's good for them. So whatever you come up with that is good for them is what they need to do. And that is always going to end up being wrong. Every time, all the time. You see what I'm saying? And this is true not just of Detroit, but there are other communities in the country that we can look at Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Philly, Compton, <laughs> Watts, <laughs> right? There are plenty other communities of color 
where black and brown people live in the country that is experiencing this right now. Areas that have been decimated, not just through urbanization, but through years of abandonment and neglect and policies, structural policies, public policy initiatives that specifically were designed to marginalize black and brown people in communities of color, systemic racism that has been perpetuated over time. Now, you have planners within the structure, the power structure, that while they're not saying this was wrong, Raven, they're not necessarily saying this was wrong, but they're looking at ways to correct it. And what we're saying is, what I'm saying is, if you're looking at ways to correct it, then engage the people who live in those neighborhoods. Ask them what they want. For instance, don't assume that they want a maple tree or they want a eucalyptus tree. Or you think that particular kind of tree would be best for that neighborhood. Ask them what they want. Ask them what happened here while the trees were decimated. Why are there no trees? And then you go into other subdivisions and it's tree-lined all day. In some subdivisions, the trees create a canopy in the summer. It's beautiful. It keeps the area cool. Yeah? During summer, it cools the land down, right? And it keeps the ecosystem going. So, and there are other initiatives right now in the city that they are trying to plant trees. In fact, one of the things I came across was that there is a plan for some of the abandoned land. The abandoned houses on land, they're going to use it to create farms. Well, nobody is is, uh, claiming the rights to the land, right? So because no one is claiming the rights to the land, they have literally said, well, it's abandoned. We're going to take it. And because they're going to take it, they're going to plant whatever they feel that they should plant. Is Is that a good thing? I don't know. Was there any kind of community engagement? What about the people who live the next block over? What if they don't want a farm there that is going to have pesticides that will leak into the water table? Right? Let me see what some of the trees are, are food and lumber and firewood. Right? Yep. Trees are good for that, but trees offer the immediate benefit of absorb, absorbing air traffic, uh, absorbing traffic, pollution from, you, you know, pollution from traffic. That is the most immediate benefit that I can think of, just having some trees around, all that traffic. We live in a modern, fast-paced world. Our postmodern society, as fast-paced as it is, is also hurting us, right? Because the fast-paced lifestyles that we live, we need heat to keep our systems going. All the motors that process and create movement, whether it's motor cars, right, that keeps industry going, all those big turbines that you see on top of the hospitals and the, the public buildings and the banks and the large towers and the large buildings, all of those things generate heat that goes off into the atmosphere. So it might be cool inside, but it's heat that's going up in the atmosphere. That's what's creating the warming effect. I wish they would explain it better, like I just broke it down for you, instead of just saying terms like global warming and climate change without telling people what the cost is. The real cost. Like I talked about yesterday, the opportunity cost 
of our modern lifestyle is that it's making us sicker. And it is creating an environment in which our climate is reacting. The climate on the planet is reacting to all this heat that is created. And what it is doing is saying, wow, uh, kind of warming it up a little bit so water is melting everywhere. Because where does the air go? All that heat has to go somewhere. It hovers above the planet. So it is going to melt the spaces that traditionally would not be melted. You see what I'm saying? And that, my friends, is where our problem is. So planting trees helps to slow down that. Having more trees helps to slow that down. Trees also reduce what? Soil erosion. Yeah, it breaks up, you know, when the tree roots expand, it's going to cause problems in your sidewalk. But you can fix that quicker than you can fix the health outcome that emanates as a result of not having trees. So we do need trees. Trees create a healthier environment for all of us to dwell in. This is why people are moving further and further from urban areas. They want to get to where they can take nature walks, where they feel like, You can breathe in air that is not tainted by traffic and smog. You know, like some cities, there's just smog. Anybody, I've never been to Beijing. I don't know if I'll go there, but far be from me to speculate. But anybody who has ever been to Beijing will tell you that the air pollution is is significant there. One guy told me that he forgot. They warned him that when he went there, he was to cover his head and he's bald. And when, when he came back, he had suits all over him. That's living in Beijing, right? So the government is perhaps now interested in reducing smog. Here in the United States, we have emissions control and so on that big industry initially fought. That's why we don't want coal mining, because it's bad for the environment, both under the ground and when it emits through the, into the sky. Because now we can have better access to energy. We want energy that is not as harmful for all of us. Do you see what I'm saying? Because when it, is, when it hurts most of us, it's bad. Who needs that? Who wants that? Do you see what I'm saying? And so when you look at this conceptually, it's a good concept to plant trees all over the place. It's a good concept. I agree with this. But I also think that you need to engage the local people. You need to talk to the locals. Find out what their experiences have been. And especially if you are a non-colored person moving into communities of color, the, the perception is that you're coming to take over or are you coming to remind me how downtrodden I am because of the policies that your ancestors implemented? My friends, it's going to take us a while to move from this narrative. And we have to accept that. We have to be patient with the process as we come to terms and come to grips with the policies of the past that have created this debacle that we are living in today. It's going to take us a while to create and imagine and redesign a new future that whilst it is going to have some aspects of our past that we are probably not proud of, but still controls the ways in which we do things moving forward. I was very curious when I watched the 60 Minutes episode last night. The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Mr. Diamond, he's a very wealthy man. In fact, he's one of the few executives who are billionaires. And he said he wanted to help Detroit. 
And they asked him why, and he said, because I think Detroit, as a as an American city, is a city that we just left behind and we need to help. Amazing. So he created this whole initiative around J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, reinvesting in some of these communities. I was fascinated because he recognizes that the policies that existed 100 years ago or were created nearly 100 years ago are the reason why we're in the place where we are today. Do you see what I'm saying? It's taken us a while to get here. We've come a mighty long way. We've come a long way. It's taken us a while to get here because initially we didn't think like that. We thought it was just, oh, well, you know, oh, well, uh, those people are like that because they're lazy. Those people are like that because they don't try hard enough. Those people are just bad people. They just sell drugs. They just And, and so the, we just continued perpetuating these negative narratives that are not even true or are reflective of the true story. And it's nice to see public officials and public people coming forward acknowledging that some of what we are seeing today is as a result of poor policies that impacted black and brown communities. Now, there are some people who tend to take the view that, well, oh, well, that's history and you shouldn't feel bad about it and your ancestors didn't have anything to do with it and so on. But that's not true either. (laughs) And that, too, is not going to help. (laughs) Running away from it, I'm In other words, all they're trying to do is to from the problem, right? Live and coexist. And I wish you wouldn't see me as a black or brown person. So I'm going to tell you that whatever happened, it's okay. It's okay that your ancestors did that. It's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. Because if you don't recognize the impact of the actions that your ancestors made, you might repeat them. So you need to know what the impact of those actions are. Now, imagine if today, let's just say slavery, the enforcement of black people who were uh, trafficked from Africa and brought to the new world, right? Let's say that that were to happen today again en masse. Do you think we would allow it? Yeah, because we would say, well, it happened 400 years ago. They look as happy as a log. They don't look like, you know, anything is bothering them. People would get up and go do it again. And that's the danger. <laughs> so you have to be, we have to constantly say, this is what happened. This is what it did. This is what it caused. And we can't repeat that. Right? Interesting, wouldn't you say? I think it's very, very interesting. And I think all of us need to get to that place where we can say, man, I never thought I'd live to see the day when this happens. I personally support anybody who is going to plant trees in any neighborhood. I think it's a healthy outcome. But my first question is, have you asked the people there what do they want? Have you asked the people? It's like you want to build a community center. But did you ask the people there if they want a community center in their neighborhood? The presumption that because you, you, and you're so, you don't even realize that that's how you think. And this is the thing I've figured out with white folks. 
sometimes we don't, they don't even realize that that's how they think. The presumption that you know what is right for them. Well, yes, we just need to build a park over there. It's going to help them. Did you ask them if they want a park? Their experience with a public park might be different from what you know and imagine. Maybe the parks you know and imagine included baby strollers and families strolling through. But for a black and brown person, it's where people lost their lives or women were sexually assaulted or drug trafficking took place. So you got to ask the people on the ground, what is their experience? What do you want to see out of this community center? Is this community center going to help you? Are you going to provide a program where school children after school, because their parents are still at work, where children after school, because this is different in some suburban neighborhoods, because the children sometimes have a parent already at home. But in urban neighborhoods where sometimes it's only one parent or both parents are out working, when the children get home, do those parents want their children at a community center where they're likely to be most influenced by others? Probably not. So ask the people if that is what they want. What kind of programs would help those neighborhoods? Are you going to do sports? Right? Or are you going to do something else? Do you see what I'm saying? The greening of Detroit, the greening of any neighborhood, for instance, has to take place with community partners. Any initiative that is going to affect people's lives, people should have, there should be an engagement process. People should be able to say, well, I would like it if it has this component, or it would be better if this happened. But the, the assumption that you're going to go in and do it, and it is going to be good for them, that presumption is wrong. You have to ask them, and that's what this organization didn't do. Now, did they learn their lesson? They say they did. So what they did was they now have, listen to this, they now have community outreach persons on their staff who are from the neighborhood. Do you know what that did? It dramatically changed their effect. Dramatically. Because what it did was now you have people from the community who feel that they have a voice, and now they can say, well, this would work better if so-and-so. So it makes you wonder, why didn't they think of this in the first place? Because, again, the presumption, the inherent underlying presumption is that I know what is best for you. And because I know what is best for you, bully to you, and whatever you think, you just don't get it. But I know what is best for you. Kind of sounds controlling much, but also kind of sounds distrustful much. You've got to engage the people on the ground and ask them what their participation levels are going to be. What do you? What would this look like? I'm I'm forever amazed that you go into some communities. And if there is a proposal to change the budget or if there's a proposal to do anything, they seek the participation of the people. They send out letters. They send out circulars. They create a community awareness event and invite the people to come in and they vote on it. And if the people don't like it, it's not going to happen. This didn't happen in this greening project of Detroit. They said they put out the circulars, but... You had a group of white people coming into a black neighborhood to tell them to plant trees. They're going to look at you and you presume to know too much. 
And this is, and some of you, I can feel you saying, well, there was nothing wrong with that. No, there was nothing wrong with the idea, but you still have to ask the people why, because like I told you, the people have a negative experience associated with trees in their neighborhoods. And that negative experience came from something some of them had lived through and had passed on to their generations. That when they had trees in their neighborhoods, their neighborhoods were quite fine. But the federal government decided that their trees weren't good enough and sprayed some DDT on it to cut down the trees. So the people felt like that was just evolved out of the 1967 race riots. Therefore, there was a greater level of mistrust because they see everyone white as part of the power structure the existing power structure, that it just perpetuates. The figureheads change, but the power structure is the power structure. Do you see what I'm saying? Did I say that right? The power structure is the power structure. Right? Think about it. So I'm going to uh, post the link to the article. I- I'd like you all to read it and to see where we're coming from this, because this is something that is taking place in other urban communities across the country. Environmental justice is a thing, right? Environmental justice, right? You, you have to look at the comparatives and the narratives. And, and I know you hear this word narratives a lot, and you're like, is that now just a buzzword? But the narratives are the stories. You have to hear the stories. You can't just make assumptions and presumptions based on what our own preconceptions are. The folks who went in to plant the trees, they had their own preconceptions. They just thought if we planted trees, it was going to improve the health outcomes for people. I don't see why that is a bad thing. But that's your preconception. What is the actual experience of the people who live in that space? It's just like, you know, in a lot of ways, I can say that I acclimate to what to how transgender folks feel, but I've never been transgender. I don't know what it feels like to have that diabolic that that you know double identity. I don't know what it feels like. You see what I'm saying? So I can say I can have a preconception about it, but the actual experience is very different. Right? And sometimes our preconceptions work to our disadvantage. Our preconceptions tend to inhibit us from seeing the true realities on the ground. And that, my friends, is where we stop. We've got to engage with the people and engage with the people to hear what they have to say. Listen to what they're saying. Hear what they have to say. Yeah, you have a good idea. But let's hear what the people on the ground have to say. You know who is very good at listening to the people on the ground? The police. Would you believe that? The police. The police go into an area because a crime took place. And they go into a neighborhood. And the citizens will tell the police, you'd be surprised. The citizens will tell the police. The police hear what they have to say. So urban planners and everybody else is over here saying, what those people need is this or that. And the police are like, no, that's not what they need. Go into the local police precinct. And they're going to tell you, no, that's not what they need. What they need is this based on this based on that. That's what the people say. 
the, the successful state representative, community council, and so on, is the one who listens to the people. The reason Hillary Clinton didn't win was because she did not listen to the people. She didn't go out and touch the people's hands. She didn't come to Michigan. She didn't go to Wisconsin. She didn't go into Pennsylvania because they told her it was a slam dunk. You'd have to go and listen to the people. The people have to feel that they are heard. There's another example in Detroit of another politician who lost because of that. You got to go in and touch and talk to the people. Any project that you're going to undertake, when I was setting up the Exodus Foundation with the view to help and provide shelter for human tra- and services for human trafficking victims, what do you think I did? I went around the state and listened to a wide variety of community partners and asked, what would that feel and look like? But I also asked survivors, people who have been through it, what does it feel like? Yeah, I had a presumption and a preconception that this is what they need and I'm going to provide what they need. But I felt like that was existing in a vacuum. I needed to hear from the people who have lived it and experienced it to know what works. So I'm just saying that that's what we we need to engage more. The uh, uh, the big banks, J.P. Morgan Chase has this new initiative and this program, and he said he looked at the problem, and he said, you know something that the CEO said? He said, you can't throw money at everything. He said, sometimes just writing a check is not enough. He said, we have the information and the analytics. He said, we crunch the numbers. We can tell. So he said what they did was he created a program based on the analytics and the data that they have that helped them to design a program for advancing cities. Very clever, wouldn't you say? Guess what they did? They listened to the people. They went and mined the data and looked at what the people's spending habits were, what their experiences were, and now they come up with a program that works. So instead of just saying, oh, I'll just write a check to the city of Detroit and give them $500 million to go do something, at least you know now, here is where that $500 million should go to. Kind of change the face of philanthropy a little bit, but it's also more inclusive and more importantly, more engaging to the people will be experiencing the change. And that, my friends, is how this cookie crumbled today. We learned a lot about the greening of Detroit, but we also learned that community engagement and engaging the people on the ground is perhaps the most effective tool that you can use to get people to change. You have an idea, you want to do something? Engage the people, find out. What is it that this would do? Sometimes we just make presumptions that This is what people need, and this is what they need. Engage with a person. We even do it in our personal relationships. You meet a guy, guy meets girl, and he just looks at her and says, she's a woman, she just needs this. Engage her. Talk to her. Find out what she needs. Engagement is a serious thing. And that's what happened in the greening of Detroit. Now, had they restarted the project? Yes, they plan to. They have restarted the project. But now they have learned their lessons. And now they're going to engage with the people and ask the people, what do you need? 
and you kind of like should have asked that from the beginning. <laughs> Would have saved you a several years and a lot of good name, right? Engage with the people. That's why I ask you all the time. When you go to my show page on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts or any other podcast platform, the shows that you listen to, we can see the analytics. So I can tell what drives you and what you're interested in, right? It's interesting. We live in a different world today. I don't know how we can get some of us to see that the world that we were born in and the world that they raised us to live in has dramatically changed. My grandmother is 96. Can you imagine how many lifetimes she's lived through? She can, you know, she's forever amazed at the space-time technology thing, right? I mean, when she was growing up, a a telephone started out as a line between two cans, (laughs) and then it became an actual telephone. And now she's like, I can talk to you and see you all at the same time. She's amazed at that kind of stuff. You see what I mean? Emails and electronic forms of communication. What is that? Right? Times have changed irrevocably. We're not going back. We're advancing because we're in a postmodern world. We've been postmodern since the 1960s. Our modern way of life is imposing and has imposed stress and pressure on the structural systems of the earth. And we need to just accept that. We're constantly looking for ways to improve our way of life, especially for us here in America and in the developed world, in in developed countries, I should say, right? We're constantly, constantly, constantly. And so that pressure impacts the physical environment, whether you like the word climate change or not. It is what it is. Rainfalls have dropped. Water retention systems in some places like California are not as effective and are controlled. And so you have wildfires coupled with winds that winds are going to blow right around the planet. (laughs) Right? So our environment is constantly changing because our fast-paced way of life impacts how we live and impacts the stress that is placed on structures that support us. Even the way buildings are built today are different. I read a story once on how the Twin Towers were built as compared to how buildings are built today. Technology has changed. They can build buildings faster, safer, more critical than they built a hundred years ago. Progress is good. It's a good thing, yeah? Progress is good, but progress comes at a cost. And the cost of that is engagement with local communities and to engage everyone. So to all the white liberals out there, all the liberals who say, I'm a liberal, I don't have a racist bone in my body, check yourself. Check it one more time. Just go check yourself. You'd be surprised how your base presumptions appear to be racist to someone else. Think about that. I know they're listening because I know they all listen. But we all need to hear it. It's a good message, isn't it? It's a good story. So do me a favor. Go to the exodusfoundation.com. Right on the homepage, 
you will see my icon to make a donation. This is a listener-supported broadcast. I need your help. Go make a donation. We're a 501c3 organization. That means all deductions are tax-deductible. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you. And as usual, go download our shows. You'll find that we talk about a wide variety of matters, the issues that matter. Mind-blowing. I, even myself, when I look at my show pages on these various platforms, I'm amazed at the breadth of the information that we are distributing and the information that we are sharing with the public. But I want to thank you for being my incentive. So as you continue to listen to our shows, we're deriving and deducing what is it that you find interesting. And I want to thank you for your participation. I sincerely appreciate you taking time out on this Veterans Day. And I just want to say to those of you who have served, I myself am humbled by your service. And I want to thank you for having the courage to defend us so that we can sleep soundly and peacefully. And if you are still serving, hats off to you. I'm humbled. Every time I see a vet, I am humbled that you were so incredibly brave. You bring tears to my eyes that you decided that this was your job, that you elected to do this. Thank you to all the veterans, past and to all those present. I am indeed truly grateful for your service. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a happy Veterans Day. Celebrate them today. Thanks so much. Be blessed. Hey, (laughs) thank you for sticking around and being a part of our show. I can't seem to find the mouse. Anybody found the mouse? The mouse disappeared. But thank you. There it is. It's finding. It's coming somewhere. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.